Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Today's lesson is called Lessons from Lepers. Seems, seems odd, but I think you'll get the gist of it as we go through it. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, or chapter 17, verse 11. Let's read what it says. Came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Certain lessons we can learn from this biblical story about these individuals. And number one is that there is a close connection between leprosy and sin. Leprosy and sin have similar characteristics. For example, when it comes to being a, a leper, we know that leprosy is something that goes in throughout the entirety of the body. And back then when there was no cure for leprosy whatsoever, it would manifest itself and it just started off in small patches in your skin. Eventually get to a place to where it would eat off your fingertips, your earlobes, your nose, your toes, your limbs, and, and that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, there was another individual in ministry, and when she was in Africa, a part of Africa, desired to go near the colonies, the leper colonies, and to do her best to minister to some of these people that were there. But she said when she got so close, the stench was so awful that she couldn't even get near so bad, so pungent that it was just nauseating even to get close to that flesh that's rotting away. Well, leprosy, we know, spreads throughout the entirety of the body and it's incurable as far as man is concerned. Man can't do anything about it, couldn't do anything about it then. You know, maybe now, but way back then, nothing could be done as far as leprosy was concerned. Another characteristic was that it separated people. It stayed with you for the rest of your life until you died. And it separated people from society, from their own families and so on. They had to, if they were anywhere, they had to tell people that they were a leper. They were unclean. But they grouped in their own colonies by themselves. They were isolated. They were separate from other people. 
And then finally, we know it's also true that only through divine intervention can someone be healed of leprosy. So if you go back to the days of Miriam, she was a leper for a week under divine judgment. She got healed after that week only because of Moses' intercession, her brother's intercession, and she was healed. Then you got Naaman the leper who went and dipped in the Ohio River. I mean, the <laughs> River Jordan seven times and came out clean, right? Then you got these lepers that Jesus cleansed and made whole. Uh, but as far as man is concerned, it's impossible at that time to do anything about the dilemma. It would take them all the way to the grave. It would be a slow death and their body parts would be eaten away. Not a good sight, would you say? Well, when it comes to sin, there are similar characteristics. Sin, like leprosy, is uncurable as far as man is concerned. We know that it's spread from Adam through all mankind. We know that it's incurable as far as man's ability. Nothing he can do about it. It stays with you unto death. We know that as well. It will usher you into the lake of fire where you'll spend an eternity in a fire that's never quenched where the worm dies not. Not an inviting place to be. It separates you from God. There's no question about that. And the only remedy for sin is divine intervention. If it were not for divine intervention, then sin would run its full course in every person's life. And they would end up in the lake of fire throughout eternity. What that means is this. There's nothing you can do to be saved. Nothing you could do or I could do to be delivered from sin and the course it puts a person on. So anyone who's born into this world is on that same course. And everyone in this world will, if they allow that sin to run its full course, die and enter into a lake of fire and spend their eternity there. Once again, not a place I think anybody would want to be. The only remedy is Jesus. Divine intervention. Aren't you glad that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that Jesus said when heaven announced we need a savior, we need a redeemer. And Jesus, the second person of deity, said, I will go. And he said, a body thou hast prepared for me, O Father, a body you prepared for me. I will go and do thy will. It was never your will that animal sacrifices could redeem mankind from his fallen state. The blood of those animals is not appropriate, not adequate, not qualified to redeem mankind. But I will go, and when I go, you'll give birth, praise God, you'll give a body for me in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And in that body, I will house the blood of redemption. And I will gladly live my life to honor you, to obey you, to serve you, to do your will. And I will gladly go to a cross where I'll suffer and die for all mankind. I will gladly bear your wrath upon my soul so that all mankind can be redeemed. And I will take my blood before the throne. I'll present it for you, to you for the redemption of all mankind. I'm willing to go and I will do it for everyone. And he did. He did. Can you say Amen. How much do you appreciate that? How thankful are you for that? It's beyond our comprehension what he did for you. So you can't save yourself. You can't do what he did for yourself. It's impossible. 
That's why when someone says, oh, I think I'm good enough to make heaven. No, you're not. Neither am I. No one's good enough to make heaven, which is why we needed a Savior. Thank God that he came. The second lesson we learn is this. Maybe before I even go there. Sin. When we think about the price that was paid for sin. When we think about leprosy and the stench. Can you imagine, since we can't physically smell the stench of sin, can you imagine what kind of a stench it is in the nostrils of the living God? Can you imagine all mankind rotting away from the inside out, guaranteed that one day, if you live long enough, this flesh will rot off your body? You realize that? You're not a body, you're a spirit. And when your spirit bore sin, became sin, it affected your soul. And eventually, this body will decay. This outward man will perish. Anything you live for on this earth is only temporary. None of it can you bring with you in glory. But my point is, can you imagine when God looks upon the circle of the earth and all that sin and its effect in the human life presents a stench before the throne of God? But then you come and you say, Jesus, wash me in your blood. What an appropriate song this morning. The blood, the blood, the blood. And now you're a sweet, smelling savor in the nostrils of a living God. You're no longer that way. No longer a stench. You are a masterpiece before the throne, unreprovable unrebukable, holy, blameless before the throne of God, all because of that one sacrifice. Secondly, the second lesson we learn is God is merciful. These two lepers, or these ten lepers, they cried out, not for healing. They said, oh Lord, have what? Mercy on us. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. But mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. And so they were crying out for mercy. And Jesus just sent them off and said, go show yourself to the priest. So they asked for mercy. They received mercy. And in receiving mercy, they received healing. You see the flow of that? They didn't ask for healing. They asked for mercy. And when they got mercy, they got healing. Well, I've got some great news for all of us this morning. Before you got up, God's mercies were renewed. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Every single morning, His mercies renewed. And I'm going to tell you why it's renewed in a moment. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. There's a good reason to say thank you right there. Because if it wasn't for His mercy, we'd all be consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. To do what? To renew his mercy every morning. Not to give us what we deserve every morning. He he knows our frame. He knows we can miss the mark. He knows we can fall short. And so every single morning he sees to it that his mercies are renewed so that he can be merciful to each and every one of us. Aren't you glad? What about this? In Ephesians chapter 2, even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, it says, 
but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sin and the stench of sin, Christ died for us. And he was raised for us. And not only was he raised, but he raised us up together to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow, what a wonderful work of God. You talk about mercy, giving us what we don't deserve, not giving us what we do deserve. Grace and mercy. You're seated with him right now in the heavenly places, positionally. Now, practically, you're sitting here at 6241 Tuscaroras Road, Ohioville, in Industry, Pennsylvania, 15052. I don't know heaven's address, but I know you're there. I know positionally in him you're there. Oh, thank God for his mercy. So if there's anything that we can thank him for, it's mercy. As a matter of fact, did you ever read Psalm 136 in the King James Bible? Did you ever read that? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the King of kings, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. To him who made the sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. And as I read on through that particular psalm and saw that some things, if you're a Jewish person, you've got a lot to be thankful for to give God you know, thanks for his mercy. Who then brought his children out of Egypt for his mercy endures forever. They saw a cloud by day for his mercy endures forever. And, and a fire by night for his mercy endures forever. And then what about this? He killed all the kings. He made certain that all the kings that were opposing them were all dead for his mercy endures forever. Notice that entire psalm is a psalm based on his mercy endures forever. At the end, it says, give thanks to the Lord of all creation who feeds all mankind. Why? His mercy endures forever. And it's renewed every morning to each and every one of us. You think he knew that we would miss the mark once in a while? Absolutely. The third thing we learn is that we got to do something. We've got a part to play in this. What happened with these particular lepers was this. Jesus didn't say anything but go show yourself to the priest. So what did they do? They took off wherever the priest was. I don't know how far it was, but they're going to the priest to show themselves to the priest. Now remember, they're not healed. They're lepers. They still see the leprosy. And they get up and they begin to go. And it says, as they went, and we don't know how far before this occurred, as they went, they saw that they were healed. So faith, we understand, has to act. Faith does not sit there dormant, inactive, inoperative, and just sit back and just say, well, I'm waiting for God to heal me. I'm waiting for God to deliver me. No, faith says, what did he say? Go show yourself. I'm going, Lord. What did he say to the one blind man? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Where did he go? Washed in the pool of Siloam. What did he say to Naaman? Go dip in the river seven times. And so he went off. First he wasn't. <clears throat> First he wasn't. And because he wasn't, he wasn't getting healed. But when he decided to go back and do what God said to do, he got healed. So there's a part that we have to play in it. There's something that we have to do. You say, but he never told me to go to the river and dip. I know that. He never told me to go to the pool of Siloam. 
He never told me to go off to Israel somewhere and Jerusalem somewhere to go into the temple. He never told me to do that. He never told me to stretch forth my hand. Well, the thing is, what has he told us to do? Whatever it is that we need, believe you receive it and you will have it. And if there's something more specific that you want me to do, Lord, then you know what? I'm going to do it. So if I'm just sitting back just saying, waiting for God to do something, I'm at a standstill. But if he says, go do something, and he did say to go do something, believe you receive it. My words are life to you, hell to all your flesh. Then what we're supposed to do is get a hold of the word of God, apply it to our lives, and begin to do something positive. Act upon what the word says. Attend to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep in the midst of your heart. They are life to those that find them and health to all of their flesh. So if I'm not doing the thing he told me to do, then how am I going to get a specific that he wants me to do? But if I'm doing what he told me to do and I know what to do, he might show me something specific that I need to do. Remember the woman that was uh, full of uh, smallpox back in the day? And she believed God. But she had all these smallpox all over her body. And when she said, Lord, what is it? What's going on here? She was a missionary. And he told her, you see your praise basket? Here's your problem basket. And here's your praise basket. You're so full of the problem that you're not praising me enough. When you praise me enough, you'll see the change take place. And when that basket comes up like this, every pock will leave your body. So what did she start doing? What he said to do. Not to go show herself to the priest, but she's now in quarantine. And she starts praising God from the depth of her soul. The praise cure. And praising and praising and praising and praising and praising. Finally, the nurses are saying, has she gone mad? Woman, why do you praise, praise so much? Why are you praising so loudly? Because I got so many pox, she said. And so she just kept on praising and praising and praising and praising and praising. And the Lord showed her in a vision that it was working, praise God. And all of a sudden, the praise outweighed all the problem. And every pox left her body. And she had nothing but pure skin, new skin. See, if we're not going to do our part, then God cannot do his part. But when we do our part, like dip seven times or praise constantly, as he said to, then he can do his part. Now, that brings me to another point, a very important point. Uh, We're going to be challenged. You see, number four, I believe it is. We're going to be challenged. Our faith is going to be challenged. You realize that? Your faith is going to be challenged. My faith is going to be challenged. It's not easy. No one's saying that it was easy, but it's doable. If you ask yourself this question, what's the significance of the leper to go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony? Do you ever think about what the significance is of that? It's powerful. Only the priest was the professional. And he was professional enough to know if the person was cleansed the leprosy. He'd be the one to say that's leprosy. That's just a skin disorder. That's leprosy. That's a skin disorder. So he knew leprosy. No one was ever healed of leprosy other than through divine intervention. Moses, Miriam, and the ones Jesus handled. I mean, Miriam, Naaman, and the ones Jesus healed. Okay, so now these two are going to go to the priest. Now remember this. 
What's going through their heads as they begin to go off to see, show the priest that I'm healed when they got leprosy all over their bodies? They're acting in faith. They are now on their way to go show that they're healed to the priest to prove or to confirm that they're healed. But now they see that they are as they're going. The priest is going to confirm that they're healed. Now remember, Jesus is the Messiah. And when they go and show the priest they're healed, he knows no one gets healed of leprosy. The only one that can do this would be the Messiah. Now the priest is without excuse. Because when he sees these people that were lepers healed of leprosy, it had to be the work of the Messiah. And when offered the gift that Moses said as a testimony, read and study, you'll find out. Offering that sacrifice before the Lord was basically a portrait of redemption through the finished work in the blood of Jesus Christ. So the reason why Jesus said, now go show yourself to the priest to let them know the Messiah is among you. The sacrifice identifies him as the Messiah. They should have seen it. They should have known it. No one else has ever cured leprosy. Never happened before. So now we see that. And what's number five? Be thankful. Be thankful. When that one man came back, who was a Samaritan, who was hated by the Jews, he said with a loud voice, he was Pentecostal. He said with a loud voice, he praised him with a loud voice. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? You see, he was thankful. Jesus made it very clear that when someone knows how sinful they were and they identify that, and then they get saved, they worship much. They're so grateful. They're so thankful. The other nine just went on their way, but this one Samaritan came back and gave thanks. I want you to see something in the book of Colossians in chapter uh, 3, or, yeah, 12. Put on there four. And listen to these things we as believers are to put on. As elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies. We're supposed to be merciful. Kindness. We're supposed to be kind. Humbleness of mind. We're supposed to be humble. Meekness. Long-suffering. Forbearing one another if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now that's a lot in that statement, wouldn't you say? Show mercy, be kind, forgiving, meek, humble, etc., etc. But now notice the next three words. And above all. Do you get that? All of that. Above all that what, Lord? Above all these things put on charity, which is agape love, which is the bond of perfectness or spiritual maturity. Let, number two, the peace of God rule in your hearts as act as an umpire. And number three, to, to, to which is... Which also you are called in one body and be ye what? Wait a minute. Above all those other things, what's he saying? Put on love, let peace rule your heart, and be thankful. Being thankful is above all that as well, along with love and peace ruling in our hearts. We've been called to be the most thankful people upon the planet. 
And sometimes it saddens my heart when I hear some Christians say, I've got nothing to be thankful for. You've got nothing to be thankful for. Yeah, when God does something for me, that's when I'll start being thankful. Oh my, let's sit down and talk for a while. When God does something for you, he left heaven for you. He came to the earth for you. He bore flesh for you. He lived for you. He went to a cross for you. He died for you. He became the wrath of God for you. He bore it. He became sin, sickness, disease, and, and also the curse for you. He was raised from the dead for you and had to go take his blood to heaven for you. And he's coming back for you. Oh, somebody better shout. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Think about it. Oh, when he does something for me, that was just a starting point. Wow. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because here we have some more exhortations that include thankfulness. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to admonish you and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Wow. Recognize and esteem those that are your spiritual leaders highly. He says to warn those that don't promote unity in the body. Comfort the discouraged. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And also, what? In everything. Everything. Notice that it doesn't say for everything, but in everything. I'm going to share with you right now. Being thankful is not natural for people. As a matter of fact, when you were young, your parents had to tell you, say thank you. When someone did something for you, someone gave you something, a present or something like that, or made a compliment, say thank you. Tell them thank you. Look, in everything, not for everything. I've heard some people say, I want to thank God for my sickness. <clears throat> That's not what he's saying. I want to thank God that in the situation... God is greater than the sickness. God is greater than the disease. God is greater than the problem. God is greater than the dilemma. In everything, give thanks. In my situation right now, the last thing you want to do if it's a negative, difficult situation is to give thanks to God for what? For something that's miserable, something that's horrible, some problem that came into my life. That's not what God is saying to us. And you know what? It's just so difficult because you've got so many People that are out there that are preaching, well, you know, it's God working together for your good. No, it's not. They can't distinguish between what the devil's doing and what God is doing. That verse is the worst verse as far as taking it out of context and as far as I can ever think of. Amen. Romans 8, 28, that says, for we know that all things work together for good, for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And they'll say, see, all things, thinking he's talking about your experiences in life. 
I know you fell down the steps and you broke your ankle, but we know all things work together for good for them to love God, called according to his purpose. I know you're in a car accident, got all banged up, and you're in a hospital, but you know what the Bible says? All things work together for good for them to love God. Does that make any sense at all? Read chapter 8. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes you free from a law of sin and death. It goes on to say, if the spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he'll quicken your immortal body. It says, the spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of almighty God. You go on and say that you're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. And thanks be to God, you're more than a conqueror through him that loves you. All these things are working together for your good because you love God and you're called according to his purpose. He's not talking about everyday events. He's talking about the work of God, what God has done. But we take that out of context and make it say something that it's not saying at all. And people live by that and they live on that. And you know what? They get defeated by that. That's the devil at work trying to destroy you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to destroy you, destroy your life with all these different things. Situations, circumstances that are adverse and all that. That's not working together for your good. You think that was working? You think the devil, you think God was working together for God, for Jesus' good in the wilderness when the devil came tempting him three times? He intended to destroy Jesus. That's what he set out to do. So in context, that's talking about there's no condemnation to you because you're in Christ Jesus. And who is he that condemns? It's the devil, not God, that condemns all the forgiveness, all the mercy, all the love, all the um, forbearance, patience that God has toward all of us. All that works together for our good because we love him. It's all those good things that work together for our good. I'll tell you what, I have to say this, the worst use of that scripture I've ever heard. I should say I ever read, I read it, and there was another one I heard was just as, almost as bad. A woman wrote in an article, she said, I was raped, and after being raped, I went to all these pastors for help, and they told me that God works everything together for my good. And I went, that takes the cake right there. Her being raped was working together for her good? Because she loves God? Uh, no. Let's sit down for about five minutes and talk about the truth. That wasn't working together for your good. That was the devil trying to destroy your life. But thank God for his mercy and his divine intervention. Another one came to me and she said, I will never serve God ever again in my life. I said, may I ask you why? Because I was told that when my baby died, that this was God who needed another little flower in heaven. And I was told by all these preachers too, it was that child's time to go there and be with God. God needed that baby there in heaven. And all things work together for good. So I will never serve him no matter what you say to me. I said, oh, that's up to you. I said, but let me say the truth to you before you walk out of where we were at my apartment uh, with my family. I said, I want you to know this. God didn't do that to your baby. He doesn't steal, kill, or destroy. He gives life and that more abundantly. Your, your theology is wrong. God loves you. God loves your baby. And he's not so selfish that he has to have that baby there now when he has an eternity to be with that baby. Eternity. To deny that child of living a life on this earth is not God's way or not God's will. 
We live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, there are birth defects. There's children born like Andrew, who they say could not live. You know what? If I would have listened to what a lot of these people said, well, you know, he's born that way. And it's just, you know, God works all together for good and all that. If he dies and goes in, I'd rather have him sitting right there on that pew, looking me eyeball to eyeball, because his mother and I stood there before all that and said, no, he will not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. We won't accept that he can't live. And you know what? God intervened. So you see, faith means you act on what God says. You don't take what the devil says or what false theology says. You embrace the truth. And the truth is, in everything, give thanks to God. In most difficult situations of life, we're to give thanks to God for what? The way of escape, the way out, the victory that we can have in Him. He's made a way for us where there is no way. He's the... He's the way maker, right? Why just sing the song? Why not believe the truth? He's a way maker. A miracle worker. A promise keeper, right? Isn't that who he is? Amen. Look at the next one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Just in case. But what can I give thanks to God for? Giving thanks unto the Father. Number one. Who made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wait, wait, wait. let's not just run through that. You got a mo- another moment here? You have an inheritance. It's called an inheritance of the saints in light. Can you imagine what's on that table? Can you imagine one day when we get to glory and the lawyer comes in and just says, I want to read to you the will. I want you to read, I want to read to you your inheritance that you have in Christ. Now, I know the inheritance of darkness is the eternal lake of fire where the worm dies not, the fire is never quenched. And those that reject Christ will receive that inheritance for the rest of eternity. But you and I, praise God, we've been brought out of the realms of darkness. And we have an inheritance among the saints in light. We've, been in, we've inherited all things, the kingdom of God. Jesus said, it's my pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the keys to the kingdom. You've got the keys to the kingdom. You've got the inheritance where you can use my name. You have uh, the power of attorney. You can use my name to transact business for yourself and for me upon this earth. And you can use my name to destroy the works of the devil. And the list goes on and on and on. We have an inheritance among the saints in light. We've got a place in eternal glory, praise God, prepared for us by Jesus himself, the greatest carpenter and construction worker that ever lived, and he built a house just for you. The roof's going on yours. I, I, I know right now, mine too. You know, we're getting there. We're getting close. Hallelujah. It's looking pretty good by now. You have an inheritance. And then he goes on to say, who delivered us from the power of darkness. That's the next thing. Give thanks to, Je- to the Lord Jesus Christ for what? For the inheritance that we have. Who delivered us in the power of darkness. Thank God I've been delivered and so have you. And translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness or the remission of our sins. Thank God. In whom we have redemption. So I'm giving thanks for what? My inheritance. My deliverance. My redemption. My forgiveness. Why aren't you shouting? (laughs) Hallelujah. Did you hear that? Give thanks. Thanksgiving is not at one day a year for a believer. It's every day shouting grounds. Hallelujah. I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I've been delivered. I've got an inheritance. In the, praise God. My goodness. Glory to God. 
Glory. And then being thankful, number six, has its benefits. When that one man came back and gave thanks, praise God. Look at verse 19 of Luke 17 again. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. Now, I am not going to just go off the edge on this. The nine that went away were cleansed. The leprosy stopped its progressing in their bodies. They were cleansed. Now they were healed. But this takes it even further. There's a different word that's used here than cleansed. But man, when this guy came back with a loud voice, gave thanks to the Lord, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. There are benefits. You know what? Could it possibly mean that every body part that was affected grew back and it was completely whole? Where the others were just cleansed? I'm not saying that's the case. They all could have had that happen. But to be made whole, could it also mean that now I can see your heart? And now the way of salvation is open unto you. Now I'm going to give you redemption, understanding, where you're going to know exactly who you are and who I am and what I'm doing for you. In other words, the point was being thankful has its benefits. By thanking him, we open up a door to his activity in our lives. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews 13, 15, we are told by him, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So when I thank you, thank you that you're my savior. Thank you that my, you're my healer. Thank you that you're my deliverer. I thank you that you're my shepherd and I shall not want. I thank you that you're my uh, Jehovah Nissi, you're the Lord, my victor. You fight for me. You defend me. You're my protector. You go before me. I want to thank you. See, he becomes what we thank him for. Thank you for being my M. Kadesh. You are my sanctification or sanctifier. I am sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. I'm presented to God unrebukable, unreprovable before the throne of God, before the sight of God. He sees me cleansed. I'm thanking you that I'm cleansed and washed in that precious blood of the Lamb. You see, we thank him for all these things and there's a reward for it. How about this? If you want to see our healing, then let's start thanking him for our healing. And I mean, and thank him and thank him and thank him and thank him. The more you thank him for saving you by his grace, the more you're going to experience the grace of salvation. The more you start thanking him for the grace of healing, you're going to experience more of the healing grace of God in your life. The power of God, the protection of God, the hand of God, whatever. And then finally, number seven, being thankful is expected. It's expected of us. By God. He expects us to be. Remember he said to the the man. Where are the other nine? Look the Holy Ghost didn't just say. I'm just going to throw that in there. Because there's not enough room in Luke's gospel. That's not why he threw that in there. He threw that in there to teach some of these lessons to us. So that we can better understand our walk with God. And here we see that the other nine. They were healed but they didn't come back like this one man. And gave thanks from the depth of his soul. To Jesus. So what I'm saying is. Giving thanks and being thankful is not always just an immediate response. It's not an easy thing to do. Especially in the difficult challenges of life, giving thanks is a learned response. I have to learn to count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trike of my faith works patience. And so in the midst of it all, I've got to say, thank you, Lord. When I understand it all, I want to say, thank you, Lord. When it seems like as though I'm being defeated, I want to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being my whatever, deliverer, healer, sanctifier, protector, financier, provision maker. I thank you. 
And so it's important that we understand. Look at Psalm 92, uh, verses 1 and 2. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises to thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Hallelujah. Notice, morning till night. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. So I'm going to thank you and praise you from the morning to the night in my life. I want to thank you for who you are and what you've done. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? Wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine words in excess but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things. Hallelujah. Unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things he's talking about there of all the things of redemption, all the things of the spirit, all the things in the word, all the things of our inheritance. Give him thanks for all those things. Thank you that I'm not alone. I got the greater one living in me. Thank you that you're my shepherd. I shall not want. There's a table set before me in the presence of my enemies and it's so good. Everything on that table is absolutely beyond my imagination. Everything that is there that I need, salvation, healing, deliverance, protection, provision, uh, help, strength, ability, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. It's all there on the table for the taking. I'll tell you what, God put the responsibility on us. My grandmother was a lot, lot like him. If you walked in my house, my grandmother lived with us in her old age. And she was a, <laughs> an Italian cook. And I bring my friends over from college sometimes, and we go down. You know, when you're that kind of tiny in the 70s, you live in a basement. The basement was all decked out. My dad just put the paneling up. Oh, yeah, that 70s paneling and all that. And built the cupboards himself. He was skilled in all that. Craftsman. He, he built the cupboards and everything, put the sink in, put the bathroom in. And we had like a whole house in our basement. And these friends of mine would come from college, and we'd just get in, in, in the basement. He built this long table. And we're just sitting there around the table. My grandmother walks down. She goes, what are you doing? Visiting with my friends. Where's the food? I said, we're just talking. She gave me that Italian look. Some call it the maluk. And I, she walked over to the refrigerator. She pulled out a spread like you wouldn't believe. And she says, now, if they don't eat, it's their fault. Not mine. Lo and behold, they start picking. Why am I saying that? Because if we don't eat, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. I put a table before you in the presence of your enemy. And what you should be doing is saying, hey, devil, you see that Twinkie over there? You see that healing power of God? You see that delivering power of God? I'm partaking of it because I overcome you by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. That belongs to me. That's my cake. That's my pizza. Praise God. That's my lasagna. That's your steak. Whatever it is, it's on that table. It's for me. It's for you. And all you got to do is just get a hold of it and take it and run with it. You want to talk about the priest? The priest is your high priest at the right hand of the master on high. And he declares that you are clean. You're set free. Man, glory to God. Look at uh, Romans 1, 21 and 22. We'll bring it to a close here. Because that when they knew God, listen, they glorified him not as God. And they knew God. Didn't glorify him as God. Neither were what? Say that a little bit louder. Neither were what? Mm. 
So because they weren't thankful, they became vain in their imaginations and foolish. Their foolish heart was darkening, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. A wise man who knows God is thankful. Did you hear that? A wise man who knows God is thankful. And if we're wise and we really know God, we'll be thankful. Well, you might say, well, what, what do I have to be thankful for when God ever does? Let me start over. When God ever does something for me, then I'll be... You want me to start over? He left heaven. He rode himself in flesh. He humbled himself, became a baby in the womb of a 15-year-old girl. For you. He was born in this realm, took a flesh upon himself, lived on this planet like we do, was exposed to every temptation that we are exposed to. He did so much for you. We should be thankful. Look at the next Philippians chapter 4. And this is what I want to conclude with is that being thankful in difficult times is not an easy thing. It doesn't come naturally. It has to be a learned response. I don't say this out of need. For I've learned. Notice Paul speaking. What have you learned Paul? To be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know both how to have little And I know how to have a lot. In any of all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. What's Paul saying? I'm not moved by the circumstance. I'm not moved by what my eyes see. I'm not moved by whatever is being dictated to me in the world by the devil or the flesh. I'm only moved by what the Word of God says about me. And what the Word of God says about me, that my God supplies my need, not If I have an abundance only, if I have nothing, he supplies all my need. If need be, he'll bring manna from heaven. If need be, he'll see to it that he has a cloud by day, a fire by night. He'll warm me. He'll protect me. He'll keep me cool. In other words, I have learned this. I've learned to say thank you. Want the proof of that? The proof of that is this. He was taken to jail. Fast, his feet fastened to stocks after he was whipped and beaten. Paul and Silas. And there they are in the innermost prison. And there they are with every reason based on their circumstances to complain and murmur against God. You saved me for this. I've been whipped. My back is bleeding. I'm in this prison. And trust me, being in prison isn't like you're thinking like today. The prison today would be like a Marriott hotel. They had your feet spread apart with this apparatus in between to keep you in the most uncomfortable position you could be in. They had your arms the same way in different places where if you were sitting down there, you were like this, you were really distorted. Your whole being was in absolute pain. So there they are in this awful state in the innermost prison with all the rats, darkness and everything else. And so what did Paul and Silas do? called for the keyboard player and says, play me that song. Play me that song. I've got something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Is that the song Paul and Silas sang probably in prison? I've got something on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Hallelujah. They sang a song that got God to move his big toe. And when God moved his big toe, the earth began to quake and everybody's bands were loose and they were all set free. 
Not only did they get set free, everybody else got set free. They started a church there in Philippi. Imagine that. A church of criminals. Crooks. Well, oh Lord. But they started the church. And he says, I've learned to be independent of my circumstances. I've learned to give thanks to God in the midst of it all. And you know what? He always comes through. Well, if all we do is listen to today's headlines, if you lived in Buffalo, New York, when the snow is taller than the football players and you've got to send them to Detroit to play the game, I thought, why don't they just forfeit it and just say Cleveland wins? I'm good with that. It's Buffalo's fault. It's not Cleveland's fault. <laughs> Look at Psalm 103. You don't have to put it up. I'll, I'll just declare. If we listen to the daily headlines, we'll have no reason to be thankful. But if we listen to God's daily headlines, oh, you've got every reason to give thanks. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgives all my sins. Who heals all my diseases. Who redeems my life from destruction. Who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies my, my mouth with good things that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, who as far as the east is from the west... East is from the west so far as he removed my transgressions from me. He deals righteous judgment. Oh, thank the Lord, oh my soul. Why are you still sitting there? Thank the Lord, oh my soul. Let's stand up and praise the Lord.